Is it just me or is it crazy to think we're in the year 2020? That seems so bizarre. Um, have you had to practice writing it yet? Uh, I, I know nobody writes checks anymore, so we don't have that, but I had to fill out some forms this week and had to date my signature, and it was just weird writing 2020. And I know that uh, the older you are, I'm going to lose the younger demographic for just a minute, but the, the older you are, the weirder it seems because... I think if you're my age and up, you, you have a connection to a lot more decades than this group sitting uh, right over here does. Um, you, you have the decades that you've lived through, but then all of us, we heard our parents talk about the year they graduated high school or the decade they were born. And, and those of us who were lucky enough to know our grandparents, we heard them talking about the year they were born or the year they went to high school. And, and so we have this connection to decades that we lived in and even beyond that. And for those of us who have that connection to so many decades, 2020 just seems weird. Up until this point, when someone referenced the 20s, they were talking about the 1920s, right? The roaring 20s. It was actually the first decade to get a nickname, to be thought of as a group of years with specific characteristics um, uh, again, you probably have to be a little bit older, but uh, when, when we think of the 20s, we think of flapper, da- flapper dresses, jazz, music, prohibition, um, that window between World War I and then World War II was going to come in, at the end of the 30s. And, and so there was this peaceful, prosperous time Uh, that were the 1920s. Uh, People had discretionary money. People were able to buy things beyond just what they needed. And so it was this somewhat flamboyant, uh, jazzy, picturesque time. Like I said, if you're my age or older and somebody talks about the roaring 20s, you have an image in your mind, even though you didn't live through it and I didn't live through it, you have an image in your mind of what that was In the not-too-distant future, when people talk about the 20s, they're going to be talking about right now. This is going to be the 20s that they're talking about. How many of you have memories of the year 2000? We went from 99 to 2000, the millennial uh, chain. We we partied like it was 1999, thanks to Prince, right? And and, uh, yeah, there was that whole Y2K scare. The computers were going to crash. Oh, We went through all of that. Does 2000 really seem that far away? It really doesn't. It, it seems so close. Um, and, and again, you have to kind of be my age uh, or, or older. Even 1990, it just doesn't seem that far away. They're all asleep, right? They're like, okay, boomer, you guys are, you guys are really old. I know what's happening down here. Um, what about 2010? You've given any thought to 2010 uh, lately? Because uh, that really doesn't seem that far away. Uh, the movie Inception, Leonardo DiCaprio, came, came out in 2010. If you need something to orient your thing, Toy Story 3 came out in 2010. Despicable Me came out in 2010. Uh, have you reflected on who you were 10 years ago? Where you were, where you were living, what your job was, what, what you were doing in 2010? 
Um, I, I have three daughters, if you're new. I have three daughters. In 2010, I had a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old in 2010. I have two college students and a junior in high school now. Things have changed. I was working a completely different job. There was no journey in between in 2010. It wasn't around. Nobody thought of it. Nobody was thinking about it. Nobody thought it was going to be here in, in 2020. None of this was here. We weren't here. Um, I am driving the same car that I was driving <laughs> in 2010. If you've seen the uh, 2005 silver Toyota Camry, still purring like a kitten. Uh, so I was driving it into married to the same wife in 2010. You'll be you'll be happy to know I was married to the same wife. Uh, so so they, some things have stayed the same, and and then a, a, a lot of things have changed. I've never been one to freak out about birthdays, but they've just never bothered me. Except for one, I had this brief moment of anxiety, and it was a, a, a day or two before I turned 30. Uh, which is like two or three years ago. A day or two before I turned 30, and I remember where I was, I was driving. I, I remember the red light I was coming up to. Uh, we were living in northeast Florida at the time. And I had this thought that at 30, I would be as close to 40 as I am to 20. And 20 didn't seem that far away, that long ago. And uh, sure enough, 40 wasn't that far away. It just kind of blasted right through 40. It didn't take long at all. But if you think in those terms, here we are in 2020. We're as close to 2040 as we are to 2000. And for a lot of us, 2000 doesn't seem like that long ago. Or if you're my age, 1990 doesn't seem that long ago. And we're as close to the middle of this century, 2050, as we are to 1990. Freaking anybody out yet? Huh? Yeah, time, it just, it just keeps going. Now, most, most New Year's, most first Sunday of January or first week of January, we think about we've got a new year, right? A, a fresh 365 days, which, by the way, we have 366 in 2020 because it's leap year. Like, is 2020 going to be crazy or what? It's 2020. It's a leap year. It's crazy. But that's sort of what we think. Another lap around the sun. That's what we think. I've got 12 new months. But every once in a while for a birthday or especially when the calendar ends in a zero, we don't just think about another year. We, we, we do what we've been doing this morning. We look back 10 years or 20 years. We look forward 10 years. We think in bigger chunks of time. We're starting a new decade. We're, we're entering into a whole new 10 years that hopefully we get to live. And we, we talk about everything that's changed in the last 10 years, everything that might change in the next 10 years. We just take a different look at ourselves and time when the calendar ends in zero. We just, we just do. See, I, I think there is a difference between now thinking and next thinking. There's a difference between now, this is what's right in front of me now, and this is what's going to be coming next. This is the next season of my life. These are the next 10 years that I'm going 
to get to live rather than now. And both can be valuable, right? Now and next can both be valuable, short-term, long-term planning. Both of those are necessary. Both of those are needed. They're just different. They offer different insights. They, they, they have a, a little bit different value, not more or less value perhaps, but, but different perspective when we start thinking in larger periods of time. Resolutions typically... This time of year are now resolutions. Right? I want to lose weight now. It's a new year. I made up my mind. And if that's you, good for you. Way to go. Stick with it. I want to lose weight. Now I'm going to read the Bible through now. Great resolution. Stick with it. Good for you if you're doing that. Fantastic. But I would argue one of the reasons those tend to fail is that they are now resolutions. And most of us are looking for now results when we make now resolutions. And so we go to the gym for two weeks, and when we don't lose 20 pounds, we say, well, I'll try again in 2021. We just sort of fade away. We start reading the Bible through. In a couple of weeks, we get to Leviticus, and we get bogged down, and we say, well, it just didn't work this year. I'll try in 2021. We make now resolutions. We're expecting now results, and when we don't get now results... We quit. We bail. That's part of the value of, of 2020 in a new decade. Let's don't just look at now. Let's look at next. What all might God do in your life, in, in my life, in our church, in this next decade, in this next season, instead of just now? From a... From a spiritual perspective, God rarely works from the now framework. We work from the now framework. We jump from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. It's one of the reasons that some people are constantly changing jobs, right? Looking for something else. Because it's not meeting their need now. So they jump or change spouses or change directions or change churches or change affiliations or organizations. It's because we make these now decisions and we don't get now results. And so we immediately want to jump to try something else to see if it will give us the now results that we want. It's just that God's work in our life is, is rarely that sort of now work. It's most often... A season of work, years of work, years of growth, and, and, and taking us down paths and over mountains and through valleys and over time so that he produces something in us that isn't just now, but it's, it's lasting. It's going to deepen us and prepare us for what's next. That's typically how our life works. Even when we look at our life and we think something was now, we think something was immediate, usually with some perspective when we look back, we'll go, oh yeah, but that happened and then that happened and then I went there and then this changed and then that thing that looked like it happened all of a sudden didn't really happen all of a sudden, but there was a process that I was walking through. When you read the Bible, you find this all the time. Now, we don't notice it as much because the Bible skips large sections of time in, in a word or a verse or a chapter. Like you're, you're here and then you turn the page and you're 40 years down the road. And so sometimes it's hard to know that's happened 
in the Bible, but when you start looking at the characters of the Bible, you meet a guy named Joseph in Genesis. And Joseph spent 13 years in slavery in prison before he becomes the prince of Egypt. Right? We, we, we see Joseph on the throne and, and with the scepter and being the ruler. Yeah, that was 13 years that God took to get him there. Moses tended sheep on a mountainside for 40 years before God sent him to confront Pharaoh. Moses kills an Egyptian, an Egyptian, has to run away, gets a job, gets married, has kids. Forty years. Wandering the backside of a mountain. And one day, suddenly, he sees a burning bush and God speaks to him. He becomes the leader of the nation. Leads God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. We think, well, that happened in a moment. No, it didn't happen in a moment. It happened over years. And years. David is anointed king and, and waits more than 20 years before he actually becomes the king over all of Israel. God has told him, this is your future. I've anointed you to be the next king. Over 20 years go by. Before that dream is realized. Because God tends to work in a process in our lives. We don't like that. Okay, we, we struggle to focus. I think I've mentioned before... Uh, latest studies say that uh, human attention span is about four seconds. Look up here. Look up, hey, look. Right. Four seconds. Three, two. To which a goldfish attention span apparently is six seconds. So we have a smaller attention span than goldfish. That's us. We're now. Look, look. What's next? And God, His work through His Word is. There's always this slow, consistent, deepening, growing, challenging to produce in us who we're supposed to be. Paul uh, spends much of his adult life persecuting the church and Christians. And he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus appears as a bright light. Paul, Paul, who is Saul at the time, doesn't know that it's Jesus. But Jesus begins to speak from this light. It blinds Saul. And then Saul becomes this incredible church planter, a mentor to church pastors. He trains all of these church, church pastors and sends them out to pastor churches. He debates with philosophers and rulers and kings. He presents Jesus to people in the highest places of government. But if you read Galatians 3 at the beginning, Paul basically says, look, I disappeared for three years because God was getting me ready. The Spirit was mentoring me. God was sending people into my life to help me understand Jesus and understand the gospel and understand how the Old Testament fits with what Jesus did. He disappears for three years. When I was in seminary, uh, we were in class one day and... and I don't know what the professor was talking about at the time or how he even got to this point. But if you didn't know, seminary students know everything. When you're, when you're a 22-year-old seminary student, you know everything. You know everything about God and theology and church and, and history. 
and you are convinced that you just need to get out of school so that the church can benefit from the great blessing that you are going to be to the church. I mean, I know Jesus started the church, and God protected it for 2,000 years, but everybody in seminary thinks once they get out, then the church is really going to do something. That's just the way seminary students think. And we're all sitting there thinking we're going to be the greatest pastors ever in the whole wide world. And at one point in the course... The professor said something I've never forgotten. He said, you know, Jesus prepared 30 years for a three-year ministry. And some people struggle to prepare three years for a 30-year ministry. Never forgotten that. Because I think it's so indicative of the slow, consistent work that God does in our life. And we want it now. And we want it fixed, and we want it done, and we want to jump in. We want it accomplished, and God is saying, yeah, but I'm, but I'm taking you somewhere. Would you, would you commit to walk with me over the years? Would you commit to walk with me over your life? Eugene Peterson said it well in the title to one of his books, he, he, he titled the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. When you read the characters of Scripture, that's what they had. They had a long obedience. They didn't get it right every time. Sometimes they were disobedient. But there was this consistent walk towards God, this movement towards God. 2020 gives us a chance to step back and ask, over the next decade, how am I just going to keep walking steadily towards God? Solomon, son of David, king, uh, second king of Israel, he writes a book called Ecclesiastes. It's two books over from the book of Psalms. So it's sort of in the middle of your Bible if you want to find it. It'll be on the screen in just a second. But um, he writes Ecclesiastes toward the end of his life, and he's sort of looking back. And, and in some ways, <clears throat> he, he's trying to justify what he knows to be true of God with what he's experienced in his life. And in some ways, he's sort of releasing juvenile thoughts about who God is, juvenile thoughts about how God works. He has kind of a grown-up faith now and is really, really honest. Some people read it and think he's jaded. I think he's just really honest about his experiences. In chapter 3, he writes probably the most well-known passage of this book. It's a poem. It goes like this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Whenever I used to take youth groups off back earlier in my ministry, I, I would always put uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 
5B in their little handbook that I gave them for our trip, uh, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And I made sure they knew that the youth trip was a time to refrain from embracing. It's great how God's word speaks to all situations. Solomon writes this poem, and as I was reading it again this week, I realized it's about now. It's about all the nows of our life. It's about how we swing back and forth between different nows. There's a now when it's time to plant, and so we're focused on that. When it's time to plant, we've got to put all our energy. We've got to stay focused on what, then that shifts, and now it's the time to harvest and uproot. So we, we give all of our energy to that. There's a time to build, and so that's what's on my mind, and I've got to build. And then there's a time to tear down, and so my focus, my whole orientation is I've got to do that. And there's time when, the, when there's happiness, and there's time when there's mourning. And life is this constant shift between now, 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 and now is ever-changing, depending on what season you're in. You're a college student, and that, there's so much now in being a college, a high school student. There's so much things, so much pressure, so much that you're thinking about. You're young married. You, you, got, you got young kids. You're, you're a single adult. You're... Uh, you're, you're widowed, you're, all of these, this is my life, now, 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 now. And, and, and so Solomon paints this picture of how life can be this constant now. This is happening, no, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, now. now. But at the end, he, he pushes back from this seesaw of now in our life, and he writes in verse 11, he, speaking of God, He has made everything beautiful in its time. There is this now going on. We all feel it. We all experience it. We we feel the pressure of whatever season of life that we're in. Solomon encourages us to pan the camera back to a little wider lens. And when we do, we'll, we'll notice that all of those nows in our life, God's weaving something through all of that. God's painting something. And we just see a brush stroke here. We see a color there. Solomon says you're getting absorbed by the immediate things in your life when God is weaving all of that together into a bigger story. And you've got to keep walking. And you've got to be faithful. We struggle to do that, I think. We struggle to see that my immediate is part of a bigger thing that God's up to. We just get sucked into it so easy, easily. We all stepped into 2020 with a, with a lot of now going on. We all did. It's different for all of us. But, but we stepped into 2020 with some things right in front of us, some pressures, some stresses, some disappointments, some failures. Some successes, some happiness. This is, you have a now right in front of you. Maybe it's a good now. Maybe it's a challenging now. But it's just one part of now that God's going to use for next. God's weaving whatever your now is into this bigger picture. I'm not sure who said it first. The person I see most often attributed with this quote is Bill Gates. So maybe it originally came from Bill Gates. But it's this thought. Most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Because we're now 
We want to now, we want to succeed now, we want to finish now, we want to be there now, we want to get there now. And we overestimate what can happen now, and we underestimate what God's trying to do over five years and 10 years and 15 years, and how He's taking each part of your now and weaving it together into a bigger story that's going to land you where you're supposed to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if you'll just continue the long obedience in the same direction. Not, not for a little while, not, not for just the beginning of 2020. Not for just until the weather gets nicer. Not just until your schedule gets busy again. If your commitment to the things of God would be the place that you come back to again and again and again. God's getting you ready for something. The challenge for a lot of us, myself included sometimes, is that some of us want to go fast when God wants us to go far. Some of us want to go fast and God is trying to get us ready to go far. God's trying to get us ready to last to be a part of His kingdom, to be a part of eternal things for a long time. And sometimes we're in such a hurry to get through this season, to get past this obstacle, to get over this thing that we're in. And God is saying, no, I'm trying to slowly take you someplace where you will have the depth, you will have the roots to last. The problem when we try to go fast instead of far is that usually we're either going to crash which is what happens most of the time. Or we're going to get somewhere, we're just not going to be ready for it when we get there. A lot of times we're going so fast, we're speeding through life, we're wanting to get past, we're wanting to arrive, we want the position, we want the title, we want the recognition. We want everybody to see us and know us and think about us and we're in such a hurry to get there that we, we crash our integrity and we crash our relationships and we crash our emotional life and our physical life and our spiritual life because you just want to go so fast. Other times, we find a way to push ourselves into the position that we want, into the place. We find a way to get a seat at the table that we've always wanted. The problem is we haven't walked through all of the training that God wanted to do in us before we got there. We haven't been patient with God's development of us. So we get there and we're not ready. Moses was not ready to lead the nation of Israel until he'd spent 40 years in the wilderness. Marching sheep around. David wasn't ready to be king for 20 years. Joseph wasn't ready to be prince until he'd been in prison for 13 years. There was a development process over time filled with successes and great frustrations and disappointments and challenges and God, I don't understand moments filled with all of those to get those people ready. Why do we think we're different? Why do we think that our spiritual life just gets to be fast forwarded to where it should be rather than walking consistently Daily, with God, a long obedience in the same direction. 
What I want for you and for me is not success at some quick resolution as we start this year. I I don't want some immediate turn. I want a deep commitment that says, God, I'm just going to keep walking with you over this next decade. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm not going to bail. This sounds kind of negative. I don't mean to be negative, but how many of us are going to still be spiritually in in 2030 that are sitting here today? I don't know. I don't know your heart, your future, my heart, my future. I do know, I have a pretty good guess that there were some people who were in church in 2010. They didn't even think about going to church today in 2020. Relationship with God has just become distant. Listen, our our spiritual life is a, a faithful journey day after day. Through, over mountains and through valleys and down long roads, trusting that there is a sovereign God over all of our nows. There is a sovereign, gracious, loving, merciful God over all of our individual situations over the next 10 years. And He's making everything beautiful in its time. I mentioned Y2K. How many of you said you remembered that? You, you were not just alive, but you, you remember sort of the chaos and, and the panic. I went down to my basement yesterday, and I found this. The Millennium Bug. How to Survive the Coming Chaos. And then you can see there's a little yellow strip down the side. Let me read it to you. 12.01 a.m., January 1st, 2000. Your electricity goes off. Phones aren't working. The computer at your local bank crashes. Police and 911 are nowhere to be found. The illusion of social stability is about to be shattered and nothing can stop it. Can you protect yourself, your family, and everything you have worked for? Yes, you can. Here's how. Now, the fact that I could find this in my basement yesterday is one of the things my wife likes least about me. My wife is a cleaner-outer. I'm not so much of a cleaner-outer. I never know when you might need something. My kids go to college and come home and can't find anything because mom's been in their room cleaning out. Not me. I found this book that I read 11 or 12 years ago, and the shocking thing is I'd forgotten who wrote it. And I'm not going to tell you who wrote it because I actually like this person. If you're like a leadership goal-setting sort of person, you would know this person. And I really like him, but he really owes me money for buying this book. This was not the only book. There were tons of books and articles just like this one that warned that at midnight on January 1st, all the computers were going to stop working. The electrical grid was going to go offline. Banks were not going to be able to access your money or account. They may lose all of your money and your accounts. Planes were going to fall out of the sky. It was going to be Armageddon at midnight. 
all because of computer glitch. Like the computer wasn't going to be able to interpret the year 2000. It was going to be a two-digit number, zero, zero. All computers and software were going to interpret that as 1900, which falls out of the date range for that software and computer. So they were going to stop working. Chaos was going to ensue. I am not going to ask you to raise your hand if you stored bottled water or perishable food items or bought weapons and ammunition like we were all told to do during this chaotic time. Now, in this book, the author references some congressional testimony from the information technology head in Washington at the time. The lady who gave the testimony essentially said, stop panicking. It's going to be fine. There might be some small glitches here and there. It is not going to be a catastrophe. After telling that story on page 161, he goes on to say, I've read thousands of articles and books about this subject, and I can only find two other people that agree with her. It even says, big bold letters right here. Based on the facts, the idea that the year 2000 computer crisis will be a non-event is simply not a viable scenario. And we all know how that turned out. right? And it's funny now. It's funny to look back on the panic that we had over what was happening now. Everything's going to fall apart. It's funny to look back at that and go, nothing happened. It was okay. Why why were we so worried? But that's what now thinking does to us. When we live our life consumed by what's right in front of us, living in now mode for one, causes us to see everything as an emergency or a crisis. Everything is the end of the world when we're in now mode. We're panicked about everything. Everything's a crisis. Everything's a big deal. Every, we, need to, we need to solve it now. Uh, page 191. Again, big bold letters. Time is not on your side. You must get started now. That was the mentality prior to the new, the new millennium starting, and some of us live our life that way. Because we, we don't rest in the faithfulness of God, the trust that we serve a sovereign God who sees the beginning from the end, who is at work in all things, who is able to take whatever's happening in my life and turn it into something beautiful in its time. We begin to panic about every little thing that's happening. May we be a people in this next decade that is able to pan back the camera and go, I don't really like what's happening now, but this isn't the end of the story. God's not done yet. Another problem with living in in now mode, it can make me think that everything is a spiritual mandate. If you're... If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Hope you'll keep coming back. If you're undecided about spiritual things, this may, probably doesn't apply to you. But it applies to, it applies to anybody who, who 
values spirituality in following Jesus. The epilogue in this book, I kid you not, the epilogue is titled Our Christian Duty. Our Christian Duty. There's 15 pages where this author, who I happen to like now, even though he owes me money for the book, this author argues that it's not just prudent to store water and perishable items and buy ammunition and guns. It is your Christian duty to do that as an example to the world of how you should be prepared and then so that when the catastrophe happens, you will be able to care for your neighbor. I'm assuming after you shot them with the ammunition and weapons you bought. After that, then you're going to care for them and give them water and food as they bleed out or, or whatever was going to happen at that moment. You are so, you're going to be a great commission person by storing bottled water. And again, we look, at, we look back at this and think how silly that is. I just think as Christians, we panic a lot. We panic a lot. We panic over wars. Not that they're not important. I'm, I'm, I'm not diminishing it. We panic over presidents. We panic over elections. We panic over Supreme Court rulings that we think somehow jeopardize us or threaten us. We panic over social issues. Again, I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm saying how can we, the representatives of the eternal God who rules and reigns sovereignly over all things, how do we get panicked about stuff that's happening now? When God is in control, God is ruling and reigning the way He has been ruling and reigning for all of eternity past and will rule and reign for all of eternity future. You know why we panic? We're just looking at now. We're just looking at now. This is the crisis of the moment. Y2K, it was the crisis of the moment. 2016 election was the crisis. 2020 election is going to be the crisis. There's, there's always this now crisis. And yet above it all, is the God who never panics. Can I, can I tell you something? In the next decade, there will never be a moment when God panics. Not one. There will never be a moment where God is in crisis mode. Oh my gosh, how are we going to handle this? Did you see who got elected? How did that happen? I didn't know that was going to God is never going to be in crisis mode this decade. You know what he's going to be doing? He's going to be weaving stories. And he's going to be building futures. He's going to be painting a picture. He's going to be making all things Beautiful in its time. I hope that we live this next decade realizing that we don't just have a now, 
But in the providence of God, we have a next. We don't just have what's right in front of us. We have all that God's going to do out in front of us. And we can trust Him. And we can walk with Him. And He's going to be in the now with us. Like He's going to help us navigate the now because that's real. But He's not just working on the now. He's working to make all things beautiful. In your life, in my life, until He brings to fulfillment His sovereign, glorious, gracious plan. You can trust Him. Panic if you want, but you can trust God. You can trust Him for these next 10 years. God, we thank You that though we panic, You never do. Though we only see what's right in front of us, You see the beginning from the end. When we get so locked into now, help us remember that you're sovereignly guiding us toward next. We are not exempt, God, from the training grounds that Moses went through and Joseph went through and David went through and Paul went through and Abraham went through and Jacob went through. Peter went through. We're, we're not exempt from the process of developing a deep faith. And so help us not to try to bypass that in our life, but to steadily walk in obedience day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. We look forward to what you have planned next for us. What you're going to do next in us. We will fail at times. We will disappoint others and ourselves at times. But you don't stop working just because we fail. Thank you for being our loving Gracious, merciful, sovereign God over all time and eternity. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.